Well, I celebrated a birthday about a month ago, and I turned 59, so I started the last year of my 50s. And I, I guess I've been feeling a little old, and some, might, uh, some of it might be the stress of being a pastor, but I looked in the mirror one day, and I was feeling pretty old, and then I went to my computer. And what popped up on my computer was one of those online things that, you know, takes a picture of you and does an age progression. It said it would show me how I would look when I turn 80. Would you like to see the results of that? Here's what it looked like. I know, right? It's kind of amazing. I couldn't believe it. But Pastor Dale had a birthday last week, and he is just slightly older than me, so, so I guess it makes sense. He was also gone last weekend, but he was actually warm in Florida while I was freezing in Arizona. Now, that has absolutely nothing to do with today's message, but it was really fun. If you are like me, you have been watching as America grieves and honors and remembers Dr. Billy Graham, who died a little over a week ago. And Dr. Graham influenced literally millions of people who went to one of his crusades and made an initial decision to follow Jesus. Included in that number would be uh, Jill's parents, my wife's parents, who trusted Jesus to save them during a crusade in California in the late 50s. And my wife might not have become a follower of uh, Jesus if Billy Graham hadn't preached a very simple message about the fact that Jesus provides salvation not just for some, but for everyone. And that's what this series has been about. We've been declaring in this world that is so divided, so polarized, that God's heart and his church and his hope is for everyone. And today I want to finish that series with a very simple message called A Second Chance for Everyone. And in Billy Graham style, I want to make it clear that whoever you are, no matter uh, how far you feel from God, no matter what you've done, no matter uh, how far you've wandered from God, he has a second chance or another chance for you because this is for everyone. And I had to shorten this message, uh, or it would have been very, very long, but I want to point out, very simply, a few important truths. First, I want to underscore a truth that you are probably already well aware of, and that's this, sin is strong. Sin is strong. Look at these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Here's the truth. We've all messed up our first chance. We've all messed up our first chance. We've all sinned. And we haven't just fallen into sin. You know, sometimes we use that term. Maybe just fell into sin as if it was just kind of a, whoops, 
Gee, I surprised myself by slipping into sin. That rarely happens. We haven't just fallen into sin. We've walked into it intentionally and willfully. And sin, let's tell the truth, is always fun. It's always exciting. It's always appealing. And that's why we do it. That's why we're tempted to do it. And it's always fun, at least for a time. And then the effects of sin begin to set in. The consequences of sin begin to set in. And sin is sin. The reason that God calls certain things sin is because it hurts. It hurts us or it hurts others around us. And we can try to imagine or try to pretend that it's harmless. We can try to pretend that it's really a victimless thing, that it's, if it's harmful at all, it's only harmful to us. But usually those that we love the most also are paying the price for our sinful choices. So probably because we have felt the effects of sin, all of us have tried to stop doing certain things that the Bible calls sinful. And now we may not have tried out of uh, spiritual choices or spiritual reasons, but we've tried because we want to stop the pain. We want to stop our pain or we want to stop inflicting pain on the people we love. And so we try to stop. And when we try to stop, that's when we really come face to face with the truth. Sin is strong. Sin is strong. It's not an easy thing to walk back from sinful choices. It's not an easy thing to break habits that are sinful. It seems to have a hold on us. It seems to trap us. It seems to pull us back in. We seem powerless sometimes. And that's because sin is strong. Sin is strong. But the second truth I want to remind you of today is Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. Look at what comes next in that passage from Ephesians 2. We just read the first part. Look at these verses. But God, that changes everything, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Because God loved us, while we were trapped in our sin, while we were condemned because of it, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And that death wasn't just a symbolic thing. It was dis designed to proclaim once and for all that sin and Satan might be strong, but Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. And when Jesus died on that cross, when he was put in that tomb, when he was dead and buried, Satan really thought that he had won. He really thought that he had defeated the forces of good, the forces of God. He thought that it was over because death had always been the end before. But when Jesus walked out of the tomb alive again, he proved that he is stronger than sin and death. And the point wasn't just to show that Jesus was more powerful but to show that he is stronger than any sin I commit and stronger than any sin that you would commit. His victory over sin and death was for you. It was for me. 
it was for everyone. Look at these verses from Romans chapter 6. Christ was raised from the dead, and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him now. Yes, when Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin one time, enough for all time. He now has a new life, and his new life is with God. When Jesus defeated death, when he died and defeated the power of sin, he did it one time, and that one time was enough for all time. In other words, it was enough for that time when my sin needed to be defeated, when your sin needed to be defeated. Jesus walking out of the tomb was enough to defeat sin one time for all time for all people. That means that he did that to provide a second chance for everyone, another chance for everyone. And that takes us to the third truth that we will spend the rest of our time on. This second chance is for everyone. It's for everyone. <clears throat> In my nearly 40 years of ministry, I have heard it over and over. I talk about how sin messes us up, but that Jesus is strong enough to take care of our sin, to pay the price for our sin, and that we can be forgiven totally and completely. And sometimes, even while I'm saying that, during a message like this, I see doubt in the eyes of a few people. I can see the doubt in their eyes. And when I talk to them, they say that they believe in Jesus. They even believe that he died on the cross to rescue people from sin and from death, but they just don't believe that he will forgive them. They just don't believe that he will rescue them. They think their sin is just too bad, that their sin is a horrible, horrible thing. And they think that They've accepted his forgiveness in the past only to fall back in to the same sinful pattern over and over and over again, and they just don't believe that there's another chance for them. Sometimes they say, Steve, I've screwed up my second chance and my third chance and my hundredth chance. Or they say to me, if you knew the horrible, horrible things that I have done, you would understand why I don't believe that Jesus would ever forgive me. Now, if any part of you sitting there is thinking any of those things, please hear me. The heart of this entire series that we have been in says it. This is for everyone, even you. His forgiveness is for everyone, including you. Even if you have messed up a thousand times, there is another second chance for you because sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger than the strongest sin that has held you captive or has made you feel ashamed. Sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 10. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you underline two words in that passage? Underline the word everyone and then the word will. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not they might be saved if they manage to never sin again. Not they might be saved if their sin isn't too horrible. Not they might be saved if they go to church every week and do all the right things. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved from the penalty of sin. They'll be saved from the penalty of death. They will be saved from eternal condemnation because Jesus took care of that one time for all time when he died on the cross. So everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But that brings us to a pretty important question, doesn't it? How do we call upon the name of the Lord? How do we call upon the name of the Lord? Let me give you a quick overview of what the Bible says about that, what God wants us to do. First, it says, to call on the name of the Lord, we must believe in him both personally and publicly. Believe in him both personally and publicly. Look at Romans 10 again. We read a verse a minute ago, but let's read starting with verse 9, a few verses before. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures say, tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This passage connects two things with calling on the name of the Lord. It says we believe the truth about Jesus in our hearts, and then we declare that we believe that with our mouth. Believing in your heart is the personal side of this. It's the personal side of this. And make no mistake about it, you do have to believe certain things to receive this second chance from Jesus. I have to believe that I have sinned. Yeah, there are some folks who would claim that they have never sinned, but to be a follower of Jesus, I have to believe that I've sinned. And secondly, I have to believe that because of my sin, I'm facing an eternity separated from God in a place of loneliness and darkness and punishment. And then I have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross can solve that problem for me if I just put my trust in him and commit myself to following him and doing life his way. Now, if you really don't believe those things that I just mentioned, then you aren't ready to become a follower of Jesus. You might become ready later on, but if you don't believe him now, you're not ready to become a follower of Jesus. But if you do believe those things, you're ready. You're ready. But the verse clearly says, not only do I need to believe in my heart, but I need to declare it with my mouth. And that's because we talk about the things we really believe in. Whatever we really believe in, we tend to talk about with our mouths. We can't keep quiet. So believing publicly means I'm willing to announce to others that I believe in Jesus. It means that I don't try to live as a secret agent Christian. Now, secondly, according to Scripture, to call on the name of the Lord, we must turn towards him both personally and publicly. We need to turn towards him both personally and publicly. 
And this only makes sense. Part of following Jesus is admitting that we've been going down the wrong road of life and we need to change directions. We need to turn toward God. And one of the first sermons ever preached after Jesus rose from the dead is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preached it, and he was talking to the Jewish people who were listening that day about the fact that they had waited for generations. They had talked about and looked forward to God sending a rescuer, God sending what they would call the Messiah, a rescuer to save them. And uh, then Peter, in this message, proved to them using their sacred writings that Jesus actually was that rescuer. He was the Messiah they had been waiting for. And then Peter pointed out that they had executed the rescuer that they had waited generations for, that they had had a hand in, es- in executing him. And apparently, they came to believe what Peter had said. They came to believe in Jesus. Look at what happened at the end of the message. I'll start with verse 37 of Acts 2. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch it? They were pierced to the heart. So they personally believed, and they said, presumably with their mouth, what do we do? They openly declared their belief publicly, and when Peter heard this, he said, there's two more things that you need to do. He said, you need to repent and turn from your sin. Repentance is not just merely saying that you're sorry for your sin, but repentance is when we are sorry enough for our sins to change our life. And when we're ready to go a different direction in our behavior. It's realizing that you're traveling down the sin road the wrong direction, and you stop and you make a U-turn. And repenting and turning towards God is a very personal decision. It happens in the quiet moments of your life, maybe while hearing a message like this, or while just sitting at home regretting and agonizing over the painful consequences of your bad choices and and you say god i'm tired of this i'm just tired of this i i know it's wrong and i don't want to do this anymore from now on i want to do it your way i want to go your direction that's what it means to repent and turn towards god personally But there's a public side of this also. Peter says, repent of your sins and turn towards God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is the public side of repentance. When I go under the water, it symbolizes me dying to my old life of sin. And when I come up out of the water, it pictures my new birth to live the way that I should, to live for Jesus So repentance says I've been going the wrong direction and I stop and make a U-turn and go towards God. And baptism says I've been living the wrong way and so I'm going to die and be born again to live the right way. And in case you're sitting there thinking that this isn't that important of a step, you need to rethink that. When the man who was teaching Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, 
what he needed to do to be rescued from his sin, look at what this man named Ananias told Paul. He said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Apparently, baptism is one of the specific ways that Jesus wants us to use to call upon the name of the Lord. And remember, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved. Now, many don't mind the personal things that we've talked about. They, they don't mind believing in their heart. They don't mind even turning towards God in those private moments when they're sick of their sin. They don't mind the personal side at all, but they struggle some with the idea of doing the public side of this. You know, I'm guessing there's a few Steeler fans here in the room. Am I right? A few Steeler fans here? Now imagine this, okay? Imagine a person saying, I'm a Steeler fan. I am a huge fan. I have season tickets right on the 50-yard line. I go to all the games. And then the person says, but you'll never hear me cheering for him. You will never see me jump to my feet and wave my arms and cheer. You'll never see me wearing a Steeler shirt or a Steeler hat or a jersey. I don't have any Steeler memorabilia on my car or in my house because, you see, my love for the Steelers is a, a personal thing. My love for the Steelers is just a very private thing. That'd be nutty, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you think that was nutty? I mean, if you love your team, whatever your team is, you show it. You express it. Yet I meet people all the time who say, oh, I love God. I'm a big fan. I have season tickets at Impact. I'm there every week sitting on the fourth row. But declaring my faith, going public with my faith in baptism, you know, going down into that water and coming back up and dripping wet, looking like a drowned rat. Oh, no, I'd never do that because, you, you know, my, my love for God, it, it's a private thing. It's a personal thing. I'm sorry, but that seems nutty to me. That seems nutty to me. I mean, calling on the name of Jesus requires both a personal and a public response from us. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking some may be ready to take that step today. Four people took that step in our last service. It was a very emotional time. Four different people were baptized into Christ. But you know, if you're ready to take that step, usually there's some questions people ask before they take the step. So let me answer some frequently asked questions about baptism. First one's this, why be baptized? Here's my answer. My main answer is you should be baptized because Jesus, your leader and your forgiver, asks you to do it. Do we really need another reason? I mean, one of Jesus' last instructions before he physically left earth was that his followers should help other people to follow, and when they were ready to follow, they should be baptized. This was something Jesus wants us to do. He even set the example while he was here on earth 
by being baptized. And it puzzles me that anyone would hesitate to do one of the first things that Jesus clearly wants them to do to be a follower of his. Friends, the Bible says categorically, if you are physically able, you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus because your leader and your forgiver asks you to publicly identify yourself with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. And spontaneous baptisms, like we're going to do today, those aren't a new thing. That isn't a new fad. It's been normal for followers of Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, for 2,000 years. There are nine conversion accounts in the book of Acts, and every one of them begins with someone admitting that, they, that their life has been harmed by their choices to sin, and their life isn't working, and they needed to head in a new direction, and all nine of those conversion accounts end with the people visibly and decisively putting their faith in Christ by being baptized into him spontaneously on the same day that they put their faith in him. Why? Because it's what the one who is stronger than our sin and who paid the price on the cross asked us to do. Do we need a better reason than that? Another question when am I ready to be baptized? Some were baptized uh, as babies or as young children, and you wonder, do I need to be baptized again? And others have recently decided that they believe in Jesus and have put their faith in him, and they're wondering, how much do I need to learn? How much do I need to know before I'm ready to be baptized? So when am I ready to be baptized? Now, over and over again in the Bible, we see the same sequence. First, a person believes in Jesus, and then they are baptized into Jesus. That's why we don't baptize babies here at Impact. About twice a year, we do a very special and very meaningful parent dedication celebration, but we don't baptize babies because our understanding of baptism is the only time that you see it practiced in the Bible is after a person is old enough to personally and publicly believe and old enough to personally and publicly decide to turn towards God. Now, parents tend to want their kids baptized primarily as a dedication primarily as a commitment to God. They are saying they want their child to be blessed by God. They want their child to be protected by God. They want their child to follow God as she or he gets older. And those are great things for a parent to uh, commit to and want to see. And if your parents did that when you were a baby, their motivation was good and their heart was in the right place and their contribution to your spiritual development is something that you should praise God for and be grateful for. But if we look at how baptism was practiced in the Bible, it was always after someone came to faith. And so if you decide now that you want to be baptized because you have personally come to the place where you believe with all your heart and you are personally ready to turn towards God and you're taking the steps the Bible says to take call upon the, the name of the Lord. I don't think that repudiates what your parents did when you were a child. In fact, I think it validates it. I think it fulfills their desire for you as you decide to be a follower of Jesus in your life. Now, that's why we do require young children to go through a class 
with their parents uh, when they decide or before they go public with baptism. We want to make sure that they personally believe in Jesus and that they understand their sin enough to be able to repent of it because those things come first. So what do you do if you came to faith earlier in your life and you didn't know about baptism or you didn't have the opportunity to be baptized or nobody invited you to be baptized or taught you about baptism? Well, our coaching to you is once you understand you need to do it, just go ahead and do it. Take the step now that you know that it's what Jesus wants you to do after you personally believe in him and turn away from your sin. Whether you've been a follower for 10 minutes or 10 weeks or 10 years, it's a great step for you to take with Jesus. Another common question that we get is, how should I be baptized? Different faith traditions have different practices. Some sprinkle water on a person. Some pour cups of water on a person. Others completely dunk a person underwater like we do here at Impact. And there are even some faith traditions that will dunk a person three times, once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Spirit. At Impact, we just put you under the water once, but we hold you there a long time to see how long you can hold your breath. Okay, not really. We do complete immersion at Impact because Everyone in the Bible who was baptized was baptized by complete immersion. And when you think about it, it really is the best picture of both a bath that washes away your sin and a death and a burial and a resurrection. It's the best picture. And there are other questions that we get, um, but there are always some other practical questions. I mean, people have lots of questions about baptism. Where do I go? What do I need to bring? Do I hold my nose? Do you give me a snorkel? You know, how does it work? I've had a buff bodybuilder in the past who said, Pastor, I weigh 265 pounds. Do you think you can baptize me? He might have been calling me a wimp. I don't know. He might have thought I was a weakling. But I said to him, I've baptized people who weigh more than you and I've never lost anyone yet. Here's the secret. Everyone's light in water. Water is the great equalizer. And our new baptistry makes that even easier. So as we come to the end of this series, where we have said, this is for everyone. If anyone here has come to the point in their life where they've said, you know, I think I believe that. I think I believe that. I think I believe God is for me. I believe that Jesus really is stronger than my sin. I really do believe that he will forgive me. And by the way, if you believe that, you're right. Because with Jesus, failure is never fatal. And failure is always forgivable with Jesus. So I wonder today, who is ready to put your faith in Jesus and be baptized? Or maybe you've already put your faith in him, but you've never had the chance to express your faith in him through baptism. So in a minute, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, if you are ready to be baptized, even if you weren't planning on it when you walked in here, I'm just going to ask you to walk over to the end of this ramp about where that purple light is on the wall over there. And I'm going to meet you there. And I'd be honored to assist you and to baptize you. 
But I know what's happening right now. Some are still arguing with themselves. They're coming up with reasons why they shouldn't do this. I mean, you're thinking, I couldn't be baptized today. I, I haven't gone to a baptism class. You just did. That's what we've been doing here. You just did. Or you're thinking, I don't have a towel or anything to wear. We have towels and really stylish clothes for you to wear. We have private changing areas for you to change in. You're thinking, well, what about my kids? They'll be fine. Just pick them up next week. <laughs> okay, you, they will be fine, but you can't leave them here all week. And you're thinking, what will all these people around me think if I move to an aisle and walk over there and if I'm baptized? Let me tell you what all of these people will think. These people are going to think that you made the best decision of your entire life. That's what they're going to think. They're going to celebrate with you. They're going to encourage you. You will feel more loved and encouraged than you have ever felt in your life. That's what these people are going to say. Well, you say, well, you know, I have some people who I'd really love to have see this, and I get that, but we're going to videotape it, and we're going to give you a copy. You can have a party. You can show it to them. You can run it in reverse. You can freeze frame the splash, whatever you want to do. But today is your day. Today is your day. This is your day and your moment. And I want to encourage you, the right time to do the right thing is right now. It's right now. And my guess is that there's been a voice speaking to some of you, maybe for weeks or maybe just today. And I'm guessing that, I'm guessing that because you showed up here. And people don't just show up at church because they have an hour to waste on the weekend. I think God has been drawing you here. He's been speaking to you. Maybe he's been speaking to you over several weeks or even longer, but you've noticed that that voice is getting louder, and it might be saying to you today, this is your moment. This is your day. And maybe today he's prompting you that it's time to change. And so I'm going to pray, and then we will sing, and I hope that if God is speaking to you, that you will join me at the end of that rant because this is for everyone. This is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I believe that there's someone, maybe several someones in this room, who you are nudging to take a step, to turn away from the agony and the pain of sin in their life and to turn towards you. Father, I pray that there are, that those people will listen to your voice, that they will push aside any excuses, that they will have the courage to take a stand for you, to take a step toward you. And Father, we are so thankful that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We are so thankful, Father, that your love is for us, that your forgiveness is for everyone, that 
you are for us. And so, Father, at this time, we pray that you will move in each of our hearts the way that you need to move, that we can turn towards you, even if we've been a Christian for many years, that we will turn back towards you. But, Father, I pray especially for those who for them today is their day. This is their moment. I pray, Father, that you will give them courage in Jesus' name. Amen.